What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And making another triumphant return to the Inking Out Loud podcast is none other than the notorious Craig Hanks from the Legendarium podcast. Craig, thank you for coming back again, my dude. Uh, well, you know, I'm really only here for the gold jacket. I hear I get that after five yeah, times. Yeah, right. So. Two or three more times, and then we'll be hooking you up with that. Right, Drew? Right? How many right. has Craig been this, on? This is at least right. four. This is at least four. <laughs> Let's see. You, you did right. two episodes of Dragon yeah. Reborn. I, I'm uh, just I'm just looking forward to another three-hour marathon like we yeah. did for uh, Words of Radiance. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Because was... I'll tell you what, Full Moon <laughs> deserves a three-hour <laughs> podcast. That'd be almost as long as it took to read the book, wouldn't it? And it yeah, yeah right. it just about. It. <laughs> uh, so, Craig joins us today as we dive back into, I almost said dive into, dive back into Jim Birch. Uh, I want to try that sentence again, gentlemen. Craig joins us today as we dive back into Jim Butcher's acclaimed and, thinking out loud's most requested to cover, Dresden Files. We've already covered the first novel with Megan Smythe a few months back, and it's time to carry on. Drew, will you do us the favor of recapping Full Moon for us? Absolutely. Full Moon kicks off, like Stormfront, and like many other hard-boiled detective stories, with our main character meeting a woman in need. This time, it's Harry's friend and sometime student, Kim, who wants to learn about making more powerful magic circles. Harry warns her about them, but is ultimately browbeaten into giving her a diagram. He is quickly called away by the now-estranged Murphy, as their relationship has suffered since the events of Stormfront. Harry and Murphy arrive at one of Marconi's properties to find one of his henchmen brutally murdered, with bloody paw prints all around, and Harry collects some blood from the scene. Murphy tells Harry that there was another spate of murders the month before, around the full moon. Before he can do much more, however, a group of FBI investigators arrives under the command of one Denton. After a brief standoff, Harry and Murphy leave, but they're followed. Harry tracks the blood he collected and discovers the woman who was following him earlier has some sort of a group under her care, known as the Alphas. Harry gets in a tussle with them, but escapes. He returns home and does some investigating, learning from Bob about the different types of shapeshifters and werewolves. There are four in total. Lycanthropes, werewolves, hexenwolves, and loogaroos. Harry heads to the police station to give Murphy the info he's discovered. While there, one of the FBI agents gives him a tip, leading him to a biker gang in Chicago called the Street Wolves. Harry pursues the lead but is nearly killed by the gang, as it turns out they're all lycanthropes. He makes a mortal enemy of their leader, Parker. Harry returns to his office and is met by Marconi, who tries to hire him as a bodyguard. He thinks he's in danger, as one of his business associates was killed the month prior while working on a business deal with a millionaire named Harley McFinn. Despite the temptation, Harry refuses to sign Marconi's contract. Harry heads back home again and summons a demon to help him put together the puzzle pieces. Harry gives the demon, nicknamed Chauncey, another piece of his true name in return for information. Harry heads to McFinn's house to investigate, but is arrested by Murphy upon his arrival. Kim is dead at the scene, and Murphy found the paper Harry gave her. Harry is in turn rescued by McFinn's lover, Tara West, who happens to be the leader of the Alphas. She tells Harry that McFinn is a Lugaru, the most powerful type of werewolf, and that he must help her stop McFinn from going on a murderous rampage during the full moon. Dresden is shot in the shoulder as they escape from the police. But Tara gives him medical attention. Harry recruits his old flame, Susan, to drive him around, but McFinn is arrested and locked up. 
Harry sneaks into the police station, hoping to draw a circle around McFinn before the moon rises. But he's too late. McFinn tears through the police station, killing many people, including Murphy's partner, Carmichael. Harry hurries to find McFinn, but is attacked and captured by the street wolves. He wakes up in their garage, just in time for Marconi and the FBI operatives to arrive. A melee ensues, in which it is revealed that Denton and his FBI agents are all Hexen wolves. Harry is once again rescued by Tara and the Alphas. Together, they make a plan to stop Denton and McFinn. But as they wait for evening, Harry and Susan have sex. Afterward, the pieces move into place. In a wild, climactic struggle, the FBI, Hexen Wolves, and McFinn are all killed. Harry, Murphy, and Marconi narrowly survive, and Tara leaves after McFinn dies. Harry realizes that she was a different kind of shapeshifter entirely, a wolf that can turn into a human. In the end, Marconi evades charges, and Susan gets some very juicy footage of a werewolf in action. Which I thought was impossible. Wasn't Harry telling her the entire time how... These kinds of energies, and she, she kept saying, oh, I, I, can, I can use a telephoto lens, and he's like, no, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. End of the book, it works. Uh, I think it was because she was so far away, at least that was like my impression. But <laughs> I don't know. So it, I am of no use in a, conversation, in a conversation like that. And in fact, I will say, Drew, thank you for the, re, re, uh, the recap. Because if there's a purpose that I will serve on this podcast, it will be uh, as a kind of kind of the stand-in for those who didn't just read the book i read this like drew when did i come out to see you was that four or five months ago so that's when i read this yeah. book it's been a hot minute ah uh, so yeah anyway so yeah details are <laughs> are coming flooding back into my mind this is great <laughs> yeah well, hey same i finished the book this morning and i've already I, I there's two or three things that drew said and i went oh yeah yeah that's right oh uh well <laughs> when i was writing it this afternoon <laughs> I, I had to go back and look up a plot summary because I was like, I feel like I'm missing some This things. sounds like, like we're coming right out of the gate like... to get on Jim Butcher's book. <laughs> it was phenomenal. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I, I, I was a huge fan of Stormfront. I love this book. This one's even better, and I, I cannot wait to talk about okay. it. Okay. I, I will this... say, okay. Go ahead. So, Go ahead. Rob, let me let me riff on what you just said because Beautiful. I've been I've been kind of talking to Drew a little bit behind the scenes. Um about how yeah there's you know i was joking about this being a three-hour podcast because there's really just not that much to talk about and i stand by that but i will say i remember more about this book than i do about stormfront like ah. it's it's it was at the very least more memorable than stormfront uh i now as i look back on stormfront i i basically come down to like uh i i like the characters and I know I had fun reading it. That's now exactly ask me. Now ask me what happened in it. And I, I, I couldn't draw you a summary. There's some. Yeah. There's a wizard, and he there was went a scorpion. To the, right and there, the guy yeah. had a terrible name, and he was like so mustache-twirlingly <laughs> evil that it was a little cringy. But Harry was funny, so. <laughs> right. Anyway, but yeah. anyway, so this one, this one is a little bit more memorable. Like I, I probably couldn't have given a detailed plot summary, but I at least there were things that stuck with me in this book that that wouldn't have stuck with me in the first book. So, Agreed. there you go. I, I think I agree with that, although I liked Stormfront more than this one. Really? Uh, th this book was a little rough for me. Uh, oh. I, I thought the pacing of the book was very herky-jerky um, and, and repetitive. It was, it was this constant like slingshot of Harry going, dealing with a werewolf, going home and investigating. Dealing with a werewolf, going home and investigating. 
dealing with a werewolf, going to his office and investigating. Like, it was this very re- repetitive structure. And so... uh, and I thought that the, the prose itself was weaker than it was in the first one. There were really? a couple, couple of points that I stopped and I was just like, oh. uh, but I didn't notice these. Okay. Uh, I'll, okay. I'll be interested I, interested to hear some of those because uh, yeah, I, I was gonna say not not quite the opposite but something a little different about his prose uh, but no so drew it, it's it, that's interesting you say that because I feel like there's a ton of movement in this book there you know people are always going somewhere and doing something but I hadn't uh-huh. thought about it in that way that the movement is always back and forth um, instead of continual yeah you know a, a forward motion. Um, and we're just talking geographically, right? Like plot-wise, his going home to investigate does further things, right? But geographically, it's like, I don't know. Are, are you hoping that Harry Dresden turns into James Bond and he's constantly going to exotic locales and, yeah. uh, you know? I, I mean, not necessarily. It was just it, it it bothered me a little bit while I was reading, and then when I was writing my summary of it. I realized how many paragraphs started with Harry returns home. Harry returns to his office. Harry heads back home like over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And like, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that, that is a thing. Like, (laughs) but each each time he returns to combat with a a little more injury and a little less energy, Mm -hmm. like a true badass Um, that he is. But yeah, like that's not to say that this is a bad book. I mean, I, I still, you know, I read it. I enjoyed parts of it. Um, uh, I think there are I think there are things that writers can learn from reading this book. Uh, you know, there are tropes that he uses. You know, I, I noted in the summary that this is still trying to be a hard-boiled like noir detective story. Um, I have heard that that changes as the series goes on, but at least as far as two books in, that's what this is. Yeah. Uh, all all the the stereotype characters are still here. Um, Harry is still kind of a sexist dick, uh, like a lot of detectives are in those kind of stories. Um, but it's it's really in the structure of the book that I think uh, writers can learn something in how he's making this story move really really fast, and to me at least that didn't flow well because mm. there the transitions in the story were lacking and i think that's where that like returning home uh that repeated transition scene it's like he had this crutch that he was using there wasn't a lot of variety in his transition points and rob i just can't believe we're gonna skate right by drew's awful pun I, I can't believe this. Calling Harry the uh, the chauvinistic private detective a sexist dick uh, was particularly juicy. Well done, Drew. <laughs> that one's even even on on Craig's retelling. That one still went way over my head. What are we talking about? <laughs> a dick, a private dick. Oh, Same, yeah. a private dick. Okay, got you. Okay, all right. <laughs> got you. It's, you know what? I bet which you my sixteen year old self would have picked up on that one even quicker than my twenty nine year old self did. <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, Nicely sorry. Done. I think Nicely. you're welcome for derailing the conversation. Now yeah, yeah. somebody <laughs> pick it up, pick it back up. Okay. Here, how about this one? Okay. Since we're since we're bitching, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I. It sounds like I loved this book quite a bit more than Drew did, but since we're still bitching at the moment, I'll just get my little bit of bitching out of the way. Um, 
and I have a quote here. Denton reached into his jacket for a fresh clip for his Uzi, and I saw something across his belly that I noted for future reference. Should I have any future? And then no elaboration. Yeah. I kind of hate that shit. At least explain what it looks like or something. You know, give us a hint. Like, this whole point-of-view character recognizes a thing but doesn't take the time to explain it so that it can be revealed more dramatically at a more dramatically appropriate time is just... That, that irritates me. Um, it's probably going to be one of my only complaints I have for this whole episode. I'm 97% positive with my notes today. Um, but I had to get that one negative out of the way. There was another moment that I that I, I can't recall exactly what, what happened, but I want to say Harry made a reference to that inherited silver amulet at one point. Although we, uh, we didn't constantly? know what it was yet. Oh, it was constantly. I, I only picked well, up on it I once. mean, okay, so so this is... I, I, I miss little things all the time. But in this case... I don't. I don't feel like it was a little thing. You're reading a book called Full Moon. It's about werewolves, and he's like, "Oh yeah, my wonderful inherited silver necklace from hey, my yeah. mother." You know, and I'm like, "Oh gosh." If there's one complaint that I had reading the book, it was, it was uh, the predictability of the ending, which Wolf isn't telegram. always. It's not always such a bad thing. That's not a, a common complaint for me. I, I don't mind if a story is, is predictable. As long as the story is well told, I don't mind if it's predictable. Uh, but in this case, something about it kind of rankled me. I was like, come on, man. Like, I don't know. Cre- a little creativity. Well, I yeah. think there's something interesting with, again, the structure of the book. And this is kind of my last style point. Uh, is that for a story that is trying really hard to be a detective story we are given the answers to the mysteries pretty darn early in the book. Mm. Like he, he, as far as who's doing what and why, yeah, he figures out the whole conspiracy, like maybe, maybe 75% of the way through the book, maybe less than 75% of the way through. And then the rest is just like an action set piece and a sex scene. (laughs) And Uh. and so it's, you know, maybe this is that turning point in the series where, like, he got a book at, at a half it and was like, "Now nah, I'm done with this. I'm going to make this, like, a, a urban fantasy, you know, epic urban fantasy. Like, but uh, but we'll see, you know, reading further, because I, I haven't started the third book, um, which, which I keep having people assure me is much, much better. So we'll see. Mm. I love this um, book. What? Mm. So you're, it's funny. I've you're a simple man, lots Rob. Of reviews. I may be simply uh, uh, pleased. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like I've been seeing lots of reviews um, where somebody like posts on Reddit fantasy, and now that I've read two books, I'm like, oh, I can click on it. Um, and and it seems like a pretty even split of people reviewing the first two books where they they liked the first one a lot and didn't like the second one, or didn't like the first one and loved the second one. And it's like. It, it, it's amusing so, to me. There's a, I, I don't know, maybe I, this is, should wait for another segment, but maybe talking about the differences between the two books and sure. and why Go I ahead, think man. that might yeah. be. Uh, this book is much more adult than the first one. The yeah. first one, it, it kind of like flirted with the line of being mm-hmm. adult in places, but it always pulled back and, you know, kind of kept it, uh, you know, uh, appropriate for teenagers, maybe. Um, but then in this book, you the violence and the sex uh, crank it up a notch, right? Yeah. And so I, I suspect that's part of it for a lot of people is, you know, I, I like the one where I didn't have to worry about that sort of stuff. Or 
oh man, I prefer the book where he really goes for it. He gets into into that the violence and the sex a little bit more because it you know it fits the world better. Whatever reasoning they might have, but it's a, a difference that I noticed between the two books. And um, I'm I'm kind of uh, I, I'm stealing from my own material for later in the episode, so I'll, I'll uh, ah, not have some not have something to say later, but. The, the scene that really, I think, exemplifies this is the scene ah. with Chauncey. Ah. So yeah, yeah. Chauncey, Chauncey serves the exact same uh, role in this story as Toot Toot did in the first one. Uh-huh. But in, in the first book, you remember Toot Toot, he was a fairy and Dresden had to go get information from him. And he had to make an exchange, yeah. uh, you know, very, very, very similar scene. Uh, but in the first book, it's it's Toot Toot. It's kind of a cute name for a little sprightly creature, or whatever, who's kind of uh, you know uh, a, a little devilish, but not very scary. And then you get Chauncey, who is terrifying. You know, kind of terrifying in the way that like Smaug the Dragon is, where you know he's smooth talking, but he's also like you know that if he loses control, if Harry loses control of the situation, he's in huge trouble, right? Um, yeah. And I feel like that scene versus the scene with Toot Toot in the first book really exemplified the tone, the tonal shift between the two books. That's a good uh, point. So, so there's, uh, there's at least maybe partly an explanation for, Drew, why people have such different re- reactions to these books? Uh, I think that's uh, probably pretty likely. Um, uh, I don't think that's the reason that I have you know, different reactions, but I can definitely understand why some people would like the more graphic nature of um, Full Moon over Stormfront or vice versa. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because I picked up on the increased uh, the, the increased violence, the increased sexual uh, just nature of everything going on here. But I wasn't sure because, like you had said about yourself earlier, Craig, you had said that you didn't really remember Stormfront particularly well. You were a little hazy on it. That's exactly me right now. And so every time we got to a scene like um, uh, Kim, um, and when and this was right near the beginning too, when she like we just went into graphic, almost like just close-up detail on these gouges in her throat and all these bloody rip wounds all over her body. And there were just three or four extra details that I feel like we wouldn't have gotten in Stormfront, or at least I didn't remember. And I, I spent the rest of the book thinking to myself, am I forgetting it? Was Stormfront this graphic, or, or is this, you know, a little newer? And uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm glad you guys brought this up. You affirmed that for me. Yeah, yeah. Stormfront definitely had its moments where, like I say, it kind of tiptoed up to the line, but it yeah. always pulled back a little bit. Mm. Yeah, um, like we, it, we got it, some descriptions, some very male gazy descriptions of women. What? Like, Where, no. Drew? Shocking. Did, did we read different books? <laughs> um, but we never got any actual sex scenes. You know, we we are given the we are given to understand that Harry and Susan got it on at the end of Stormfront. But right. in uh, in Full Moon, we have a like solid three page sex scene of the two of them <laughs> with with some very uh, present details what's the 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 scene from the truman show where the guy is describing the sex on the truman show and he's like yeah but then they always blow the curtains across the camera or something (laughs) you know he's clearly disappointed he's clearly disappointed that they uh that they don't show the sex in the truman show i somehow don't (laughs) remember that scene and i love that movie that's one of that's that might be my favorite jim carrey movie well so i i i guess i should talk a little bit of a style point here i haven't read 
I've, I've been pretty upfront. I haven't read a ton of hard-boiled detective fiction. Um, but I've read a little bit, and the other stuff I've read, especially, like, the, the clear comparison, of course, is Garrett P.I. By, um, by Glenn Cook, which is kind of the OG fantasy hard-boiled detective. Oh, okay, yeah. See, um, I was going to say Veronica Mars, but okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, Butcher cited Glenn Cook as his inspiration in the acknowledgments of the first book, you know, things right, like right, that. Right. Um, but while Garrett in those books definitely has a lot of sex, it's never on screen. It's, it's always like referenced there. And, and while he is like Harry, a, uh, a character who's very interested in the fairer sex, um, he never goes into the same graphic detail describing the women he's looking at. Right. Like, I mean the the number of times like like y- you know exactly what Tara West looks like naked, yep. you know like <laughs> <laughs> yep. right. Uh, I know what Murphy's earlobes look like. Yeah, like yeah. there it, it, there's um there's just so much focus on sexual detail, especially in this book. Which which would like, be that that's one thing and it, it is jarring probably yeah for most people I think it's jarring to read certainly was for me the the weird thing about especially um, these two books and again you know people say ah oh, it gets better keep reading the series he you know uh, butcher matures and you know doesn't do all that but the interesting thing in these two books is uh, that Dresden has never met a woman who wasn't prettier than the last one that he met. Yeah. you know what i mean like it's yeah. it's just constant like, like that way yeah. you know oh man well you thought she was hot well look at the the bazoombas on it's, this broad it, or you know whatever <laughs> how there are zero uh, yeah. unattractive women in chicago there that was one thing that did stand out to me in this one that that was like like you know there's one thing to have a guy your, your male main character be hyper aware of how attractive women are around him yeah uh, but it's a little different when we get the alphas who are like teenagers, college kids, and, he, and he's and he's describing how one of them like fills out her her bathrobe uh-huh. and a little like, too generously or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like Gosh. I do not all, remember all right, that. Dude, like, the, you might have just blanked it out. These are children. Uh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I'm going to come to Butcher's defense just for a second here. I don't think the sex scene was that graphic. I mean, it was very lyrical. It was very flowery. Oh, like, if this was yeah. a film, it would have been mostly their faces. I don't even think you would have seen genitalia yeah. if this was on, on screen. <laughs> I don't know. There's... You like that oh, one, Oh, eh, we're, we're really going for it in this episode, aren't we? Okay. Yeah. Like Craig. All right. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't Jim? know. We get a pretty what graphic our... description of her straddling him in bed, like I want to call like him Dresden, climbing on but top. <laughs> keep forgetting his first name. Harry. GM, oh, as Harry. in Houdini, okay. Harry. Okay, yes, that's yeah. right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like focus entirely on like the the sex, um, <laughs> but but uh, it, it Jim does... Jim does that for you. So yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> but it does bear you know discussion. So yeah. I had to bring it up. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, Craig, Rob, do you, do you have any more like style points to discuss? So, Drew, you said something earlier, and maybe you'll get into more detail in uh, you know mm-hmm. favorite or least favorite lines or whatever. But um, when it comes to the um, 
the pros. You said that uh-huh. the pros, yeah, there are a few places that the pros really kind of took you out of the story, whatever. Um, I actually, that was kind of one of my notes is that across both of these books, I've been very satisfied with the pros in just how prosaic it is. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, for you know, for anybody who's curious about my definitions of pros and where I'm coming from, please go check out my YouTube video on the subject that I just released. Uh, but, but the thing, like, so in my definition that I'm borrowing from an old, dusty, old, forgotten English uh, professor, um, it, basically the best pros doesn't take you out of the story, and it also doesn't make you stop and applaud the author. Uh, and I felt like that was uh, pretty well exemplified in these two books, uh, including this one, where, uh, like, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that there weren't any bad lines or whatever, but um, as I was going through the book, I never got to a line where I was like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, like, man. oh, that was a, what a horrible line. Or like, oh, my goodness, what a great line. How poetic, whatever. Uh, I never had any of those. It just took me through the story which is what i want pros to do i agree yeah i mean you are correct in in that's how butcher writes um what he it seems he's striving to achieve right um there were lines that took me out uh, i i'm very interested to hear yeah. if you wrote any of them down um, i i only uh, it looks like i only highlighted one um that annoyed me so much that i was like i gotta highlight this <laughs> uh and it was fairly early on and um he's it's like when he's leaving the the very first crime scene where where spike got killed and and he's just like had his run-in with the fbi and and he gets kicked out and he, and he goes and sits in the blue beetle and he's all rattled and the line is i was still shaking a little a pure and primitive reaction to a very primal fear Primitive and primal in the same sense. Redundant. And I was you like, had a... Okay, you know, like things like that. Uh, there were multiple times where he, you could tell he was trying to use descriptive words yeah. and and just like couldn't couldn't quite like he doesn't quite have that Donaldson vocabulary, <laughs> you know. Or, That's fair or enough. That. Like, and so... so he ends up using words that mean the same thing right so would it have been better if he'd gone full parallelism and said a primal reaction to a primal fear honestly yeah that would have been he did a couple times didn't he not with primal specifically but he would there's a description at one point Uh, yeah craig i think that would have been a better line (laughs) like it's like obviously it's it's primitive if it's coming from a primal fear like basically what we've learned here today is that i'm a better writer than jim butcher so that's good it's good to have that it's good to have it cleared up yeah well better than yeah, jim butcher in 2001 because <laughs> he still has quite a few novels after this one i mean i'm i'm not gonna like i'm never gonna pretend like i'm a better writer than any of the authors we're covering like look i haven't published a book i've written a couple of books uh, I've I've written three of them. Two of them are terrible, uh, and and the third one I I don't know if it's as good as any of these. I think it's pretty decent, but I'm not going to be out here being like, oh yeah, I'm a better writer than this. Like, um, there's there's so much more to writing a book than just like constructing a, a good sentence, you know, and and there are things that Butcher does 
that are way better than than anything I do. You know, like uh, his his plotting, his stories are so much tighter than the ones I write. Like I can't I can't even come close to pretending otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I there there were moments that the, the prose took me out, and I liked it. Like I like this. I didn't notice any any points. I like there were, there were a few in the last book that I did kind of take a step back and go, and I was aware that I was reading a book, you know. But in, in this book, it never really happened, and the only time it did was was positive. Um, I loved a, a few of the, of the descriptors. I'll be talking more about this scene where where Harry and Susan have sex later. Um, but like, I found it to be pretty strong. I I guess I'm just simpler to please in this regard. I'm normally the one that that's bitching, not maybe specifically about this, but I'm normally the the more curmudgeonly of the you know host of the podcast. I love this one. I'm just like I'm done all of my negative points. I think I'm just going to be glowing about the book from here on out. So this yeah. ought to be a good yeah. counterbalance. I think you should come. You should come do a, an episode of Legendarium with me. You'll be a paragon of positivity, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> a paragon of positivity, like the alliteration. I'll challenge you on that too. <laughs> depends yeah, it, what we're covering. It really depends on what, yeah. <laughs> really depends what we're covering, and how predictable I find it because I am not one to like predictability. And how much po- uh, political story? Oh, there is. oh you know, Drew, I, I do have one other thing. Sorry, style stuff. Style oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. You, you said the word politics, and my alarm bells went off, and I said, "Get back to the book." Um, page, page one. So. I look. I am not bringing this up because I think it's like the perfect masterclass or something. But I've read enough first paragraphs in my day to know that this is a good one. Again, it's not perfect. It's not a masterclass, but it's a very good first paragraph. Okay, so it is. It's actually. Go, I was gonna have this as one of like an honorable mention <laughs> scene at the end. Wow, so, it's good. I just, yeah, I just think it's, uh, and I, I won't talk about the entire scene, literally just the first paragraph. So you buy the yeah. book. I'm, I'm holding it. I'm showing Drew and Rob in my hand. Okay. Ooh, full moon. Oh, full moon with ooh. the wizard. And you got the moon. You got the bloody paw prints. So okay. Pretty. I'm going to read. that he doesn't wear. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you're, <laughs> you buy the book and you think to yourself, I am, um, you just blew Rob's mind. You just blew my nope. mind a little bit. Yeah. We'll come back to that, Rob. Um, <laughs> So you, you pick up the book and you think, okay, great. I'm going to read a werewolf book. This is fantastic. And then what does he do with the literal, the first sentence of the book? He, he pays off the promise of the cover. Or he says, uh, the first line is, I never used to keep close track of the phases of the moon. That's your first sentence, okay? Then the paragraph finishes up this way. So I didn't know that it was one night shy of being full when a young woman sat down across from me in, McNa- in, in McCannelly's pub, what, whatever, uh, and asked me to tell her all about something that could get her killed. It's great. It's so he, yeah. he yeah. fulfills the promise of the cover and then gives you a really enticing entrance to a scene. You know, the, the damsel in distress, like you were talking about, the, the, all the, the hard-boiled detective stories start with the damsel in distress. Um, and, you know, she, she's going to she's doing something that could get her killed i don't know it's just it i found it very very effective as a first paragraph really really well done 
Yeah, like, 100%. You, I'm, I'm not even going to bother bringing it up at the honorable mentions because I was basically going to say exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's a great opening paragraph. Yeah. It's, it's if I were, if, yeah, if I were teaching a writing class, um, you know, I, I'm available for hire, by the way, so somebody call me. <laughs> uh, but if I were teaching a writing class, I would, I would happily bring that as an example of, hey, you know, here's an effective first paragraph and here's why. Yeah. So, yeah. Yet, yet another thing that Butcher does way better than I do. Yeah, I've been like writing, writing an opening sentence, writing an opening paragraph is one of the hardest things to do in novel yeah. writing. It's rough. Like, I'd say writing the correct one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been chopping at the bit to get back into into Dresden Files, and we've been we've just been so stacked with our schedule and inking out loud lately that when I finally opened this one up, or I should say, when I finally turned my e-reader on and and, and opened it, uh, I did get a smile on my face when I when I read that first paragraph. It was like, yes, okay, I, I'm going back into Butcher. I'm I'm totally stoked for this, and this is going to be a good episode. I could tell it was going to be a good episode on the first paragraph of the book. Mm. I feel like I'm tempting fate by saying that, but we'll see going forward. <laughs> hey, look, we're already 30 minutes in, and, uh, and we haven't style. even gotten off a of style. This is already a solid episode. I, I still have so. a more style point, too. I, <laughs> I want to talk about how well Butcher seeds future novels. Mm, now okay, he's what? constantly adding little details that we're going to explain later, but we don't need to know the rest of the story now. I love that. For, for the most part. I mean, oh, oh. you, you Rob, you brought up the example of the, the mark across, what, what's his name, stomach, you know. Right, so right. I agree with you for the most part, but yeah, there, there are a few things where it's like, okay, come on. I meant um, specifically for future novels, though, like with his mother. Right. Right, and the yeah. whole mystery behind that. But yeah, you're right. Those those little details where it's like, oh come on, you could have just you. you uh, uh, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like his the whole thing with his name and Chauncey. That is a freaking Chekhov's gun if I've ever seen one. <laughs> oh yeah, you know? yeah, that's like, pretty good. <laughs> a Chekhov cannon, that one. Yeah, like uh, you are right. I I like how he is gradual with it, like. You know, some of the other big series we've covered on, on the podcast, The Wheel of Time, Stormlight Archive, they ramp that uh, that expansion of the world, both of those series. This takes a much more gradual, episodic approach. You know, he's not interested from the get-go of laying all of this expansive groundwork. He's like, I want to tell this story right now. And then I'm going to tell this story, and then I'm going to tell this story, mm. and I'm going to gradually build a meta narrative through it. Like it's it's more like um, what what Sanderson is doing with the Cosmere as a whole, where he's seeding little things in yeah. each Cosmere book that are gradually coming together to tell a bigger story. But it's on a, obviously a much much larger scale. Than, right. I, than I was going to say this doing. is the uh, the Lego set model version of yeah. <laughs> of Sanderson's New York City. Yeah. 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 I wonder how many so. Dresden Files book books you would need to put together to make one Stormlight book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, four or five. Yeah. Like, uh, at yeah. least I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what the word counts are, but these are short. They're fast. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, am a sh I am a slow reader. I have always said so. Drew, you are like three times the speed of, of a reader that I am. I think uh, my, my e-reader gives me uh, uh, stats at the end. This one took me like 5.2 hours, and I am slow. 
So I mean, this well, was, I'm this not was... three times faster than you then. <laughs> no, no, I was I was expecting to see nine or ten hours on mine, and I was shocked to see five point two. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just I, I flew right through. I think it was like three sessions. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So all right, anything else, style? Should we dive into our characters, starting with Harry? Yeah, let's let's talk about Harry, and I want to bring up I think the the biggest reason why I didn't have that same reaction as Rob when I opened this to start reading. I don't have that, like, familiarity, that comfort, that feeling of, like, oh, cool, I get to go back to this. And I think it's because I don't like Harry. Just as a person, eh? You wouldn't be, like, yeah. a, a friend with him? You wouldn't be a drinking buddy? I, I don't think so. Um, maybe if I didn't have such a look to his inner self, um, like, outwardly, maybe I'd be like, oh, yeah, I could get along with this dude. Um but, and it's not that, like, it's not like I hate him. Um, if I hated him, I would I would not have fun reading these books. And I do have fun. I have had fun at many points through the first two books of this. But I, I don't have the investment in Harry Dresden. Mm. Interesting. I, with, with Harry Dresden, he, he comes off to me, and I realize it's halfway through the book, as a less... Mm, a less acerbic, slightly easier on the eyes in terms of reading what what he says in, in his life version of Kane of Harry Michelson. He's just so pragmatic. He's so gritty. He's so beat down at just by life and everything around him. He's nowhere near as funny. I think he's kind of funny. Kane still has some one-liners that that are just they stick with me to this day. Oh, so I'm glad you brought this up. So again, I'm going to compare Harry to Garrett. In, in cool. Cook's you know, okay. series. They are, of course, because they are filling similar tropes, similar stereotypical character roles. They are similar in a lot of ways. But Garrett is way funnier than Harry. And he's easier going about it. Um, he's He's got the, the, you know, downtrodden, you know, like living from job to job kind of... Uh, you know, hard, hard on his luck thing, but he's so much more sarcastic about his position in life and, um, like so much less self-pitying. Like, like when he indulges in self-pity, you can tell he's making fun of himself. He's doing it in a sarcastic way. Whereas Harry is like genuinely self-pitying. And that's where it rubs me wrong. Hmm. I, like, it, I don't find humor in, in the way Harry goes about being hard on his luck. Whereas there's humor in what Garrett does. And there's humor in what Kane does. I mean, there, there, there was a hmm. line when he was talking about not being able to decide whether he, could, he should spit or swallow something. And he swallowed. And he follows it up with, no comments, please. That made me giggle. I like that one. That didn't make you. That didn't tickle you. That one. There were, there were some points that it, this book made me laugh, but that wasn't one of them. No. No. The the one that that did the one that Harry. The one point Harry specifically made me laugh was when he is going to investigate the street wolves, and he pulls up outside the garage, and there's a giant sign that says "Full Moon Garage," and he mutters, "Thank God it's not too obvious or anything." Yeah, like, that where was I that was funny. That's like, like one of fifty <laughs> moments that I laughed, huh? Uh, but 
yeah, I mean, honestly, the, as, the as I recall, part of the book to me was was a Murphy thing. But uh, as I recall, the two of you have different uh, opinions on Lyft. Is that oh, right? I no, think we, we pretty both much... hate Lyft. Oh, okay, all right. Lyft. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> there probably are characters that that we do have very very polar views on. Yeah, there, there aren't too many. There there were a couple <laughs> of characters in uh, Arcady Martin's books that I liked more than Rob, or Rob yeah. liked more than I did. Yeah. Um, but. I think generally we have fairly similar alignments on on characters. Yeah, yeah. I can, nothing really comes to mind at the moment that we're really, really divided on. You hated Mahit by the end of A Desolation Called Peace. That was the big thing. And Three Seagrass, whereas I love them. Yeah, I liked them both in, in the first novel a little a little more. Because it was yeah, exploring the but, relationship. Uh, but anyway, um, Harry. Harry. Harry Dresden. Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden. Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> So, yeah, you're just giving up his whole name to the. I genius. know, I know. What Hope Chauncey's doing? not listening to this one. Um, okay, so Harry. Uh, anything else about Harry, Craig? Uh, <laughs> no. Thumbs it up, right? S- sorry, I yeah. Uh, Harry is an empty vessel so far through two books, for the most part. Uh, Break my fucking heart. And, uh. No, I, I and I think that's fine. Oftentimes, I mean, think about another famous Harry wizard. Uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter is technically a character, but in reality, he's not—he's not a character. He is the—he's the vehicle through which the story happens. And I kind of feel that way, at least at this point, about Harry Dresden. He probably has more of a personality than Harry Potter, but yeah, uh, it, it's everything around him and all the people around him that are interesting, all the events and people um, that make the story interesting. It's—it's it's not him for me yet at this point. So I, I do have more I want to talk about with Harry, and, and the big one is his decision at the end of the book to take up the belt and transform himself. I was not expecting that. Nope, mm. same. Um, no. That, you know, back to Craig's point on the style, like, that got dark. Like, that got real dark, and mm-hmm. I was not prepared for that. Um, that was definitely one of the more memorable parts of the book and i think that was where i started caring a little more about harry or at least being more interested in harry because i was like okay this is not you know this is not what i expected from this sort of a character um you know so there's uh, there was a more dynamic element to his character arc at the end of the book where there wasn't anything like that at the end of Stormfront. It was a pretty straightforward, like, will I or won't I, you know, spring the trap and and jump into the fire and and save the day. It's like, no, this was less about saving the day than it was saving himself. Uh, Because in a lot of ways, he he wasn't the one who saved the day, right? Like, it was... um, it was Murphy and Marconi. Like Harry, at at a certain point, was completely defenseless, and and uh, wasn't willing to step over the line to use his his uh, you know un, uh, his Chekhov's gun, his Chekhov's belt that yeah. he kept <laughs> referencing. My my last resort, my final trick, whatever he called yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Where I was like, dude, I know it's I know it's the belt. Like you can just say it, See, but I I thought he was going to go through it without using it, and it was going to remain as like a a thing that he brought home, and it would be a long term character like element. 
um, I I saw that playing out very very differently, and I I always viewed it as this like looming threat rather than uh, uh, an immediate character moment. Yeah. But I I kind of like that it was an immediate character moment rather than a long term thing because it allows him to have this long term internal struggle now that he knows he's capable of doing that. You know. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was. I was really, really invested in this moment too. A because it was just so un- unpredictable. I, I did not see this coming, um, which, which I love. But for me, it was the fact that he had just finished talking to Denton and telling him what this is going to do to him if he follow, if he continues to follow this path. And then within pages, or maybe within chapters, we see Harry take off the proverbial gloves and get down and dirty in the muck and do a lot of the same thing. And then a lot of the, you, you could see his personality changing throughout this scene as it continues, as this, as their, their battle uh, progresses, you the, these increasingly, uh, the primal, to use that word again, these increasingly bloodthirsty thoughts of his, and you know what this is going to do to him. And I'm in this moment, I'm thinking, I'm worried. I'm like, Oh my God, is this something that he's going to be able to come back from? Is this something that's going to stick with him for a few novels? Is this going to hurt him psychologically? Is he going to, do something that he's never going to be able to take back and so there was there was this feeling of urgency of immediacy and of danger for this character that i was not expecting to have and so i was i was so into it in this moment and while we're still on this scene between these two clashing these two wolves clashing in in the, in the you know in the mud there in the rain anybody else getting uh van helsing vibes in this scene here have you guys seen that movie? Oh, uh, wow! I saw it in theaters. That's a oh, deep wow. cut. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't given a second Rob, thought to that movie Rob, in let like me... twenty years. <laughs> right, go ahead. I'll let you. I, I just want to ask you a quick question. Did you like that movie? Listen, I was twelve years old. <laughs> I was twelve years old when I saw it, and it remained at the top of my list for about five, six years. Okay. And then, All right. And then I, I grew up a little bit, and now uh, I can look back and watch it fondly, but no, it wouldn't even make my top 50, probably. Oh, wow. but, okay, all right. But once upon a time, I was I just, really I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm learning about you, about are. you Rob, you today. I, I'm getting I am a good... a fount of knowledge, my friend, about me. <laughs> one, one would hope. One would hope. Uh, but no, I, I do understand now that you've brought it up. I uh. <laughs> I get where you're coming from, Rob. Yeah, right. Uh, with like the vibes. Um, the vibes, it, right, right. It's just vibes. not something I ever thought would have thought about. <laughs> at, at least at least Van Helsing wears the damn hat, right? Yeah, he does. There's another point in that favor. <laughs> see, I I don't have really. I, there's like you can see the the cover right here, but it's all black and white. It's all garbage uh-huh. and stuff like that. I never go back to it because I'm in the middle of the book constantly. So when you brought up the hat, I was like, what? Oh. Oh my God! Yeah, it's um, it's like a certain character on the covers of uh, Miss Born Era Two, who has a gun on the cover and very emphatically does not use a gun in the books. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. 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 At some point, watch for it as you guys read through the series. I've heard. I I have not read through the series yet, but um, okay. I've heard Finally. that at some at some point, uh, Butcher makes a joke. Uh, about how Harry would never wear a hat because you know hats are ridiculous and stupid. But at this point, it's just part of the the in joke because he always gotcha. wears a hat on the cover. So anyway, gotcha, gotcha. So he just had some, had some fun with it. Maybe we already had that line and I forgot about it. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Mm, I, don't I didn't notice it if we did, so. but I'm not a particularly close uh, reader in this regard. Yeah. All right. 
anyway. characters. Are we done with Harry? I'm done with Harry now. We're d- I'm done with Harry. Craig? Yeah. yeah. Who are we All moving right. on to next? Craig, who do you feel like moving on to? Murphy. Murph. Right. My girl. The Murph. Hey. Um, I am very glad that Murphy, by the end of this book, seems to be done with the I can never trust Harry Dresden and I need to arrest him at every chance that I have uh, thing that she has through these two books. They they kind of, they have, in the first book, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like they, they clearly know each other and care about each other to a certain extent, but she, she doesn't trust him. Oh, he's, you know, he's a wizard. He's, he's probably a murderer because, you know, I don't know, Satan or something, whatever. Um, <laughs> Cause I don't know Satan or something. <laughs> so I, I'm very deep in her head. Okay. Um, so she, yeah, it's this kind of, it's this constant like, Oh, but I can't trust him, but he's constantly, he's always doing things to help her and save her. And I mean, vice versa as well. But um, by the end of this book, finally, Murphy seems to be coming around and is ready to just trust Harry. And it was a a note that I had by the end of this book. I was like, oh, thank goodness that thing is over. Because that could have gotten really tired uh, if it had continued through the series. Man, I don't... See, I wasn't sure of that by the end of the book. Because it's like... It's more, it's more hinted at. Yeah, like she saw him do the um, like the wolf thing, and and she's super angry, uh, and and like reiterates again, like I still like you, but I'm never gonna trust you again. And then there's that kind of epilogue chapter where he like gets her out of hot water, and and we're left with that implication where it's like, oh, okay, maybe that's water under the bridge now. And I was like. What? Mm. Yeah, I like, yeah I can understand it. My and I I'm not I what I'm not saying is that it was perfectly well told as a story device or anything. All I'm saying is that uh, I I'm glad that she's getting over her I hate Harry Dresden phase. Uh, yeah, because because it's for me, it, yeah. it's tired. For me, a big uh, turning point in that attitude of hers was when they were stuck in the hole together in that pit near the end, and they were waiting for death. Mm. And he ha- he offered her his coat, and she was angry for a half a second, but then she was pragmatic. She's like, "Okay, I'll I'll take over." But there was this one line that she had when she she tells him, "You know what, Harry? I'm starting to think that maybe you weren't involved in this, or maybe you weren't behind <laughs> these murders." And I was like, right. "Okay, this she's a li- she's self-aware in this moment enough to at least." crack a, a, a darker kind of joke because they're all about to die, but that was the moment when I was like, okay, yeah, this is going in, into a direction that I want it to go in again. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Murphy, how are you guys uh, feeling about this clear shipping that's going to be happening here at this point in the series for everybody? Murphy and Harry, Susan and Harry, what are we thinking? Hey, at least Murphy isn't, um, you know, the hottest, most buxom you know whatever other disgusting adjective we want to add that harry's ever seen i don't know as i read it as i recall she's attractive but she's not like susan attractive am i off base here (laughs) that's Uh, the impression that i get too but it depends to whom to harry yes but to me is this going to become the the out loud thing where based on context clues in the books we're able to compile a comprehensive ranking <laughs> oh god could you just imagine oh uh, my god all i i'm i guess i my whole point with bringing this up is um <laughs> i hope that she is not just a major i know she's a major character through the series but i hope that she's 
Harry's paramour just because I, I like that it's that that when I read Murphy, it's not so leery as it is with other female characters. How's, how's that? Is that fair? Very fair, and I agree. I agree, and okay. I, I also I'm I'm on the Murph train. I I love Susan, but I have a pre- I'll just get the prediction out of the way now. I haven't read the rest of the series. Susan's gonna die. She ha- I think she's gonna die. She's just too pure. She's too helpful. And there's this obviously like this subconscious <laughs> thing that Harry's got going on. He's totally into Murph. He confronts himself on it. You're repressing big time, man. I just I don't see that happening unless Susan dies. I don't know why I don't see that happening unless Susan dies, but it would just be such an effective way to, to rip the reader's heart out, I think, because she had some tender moments, she being Susan now. She had some very tender moments with Harry. So I that's my prediction. Honest, She's going to die. I haven't, like, thought about having, uh, like, shipping or, or predicting Harry would end up with any single woman just because of my limited experience with the trope of the hard-boiled detective is that they just sleep around a bunch. Right. They, they don't get nailed down. Well, that's, <laughs> so to speak. Um, <laughs> that one didn't the, go over my head. The, the hard-boiled detective trope kind of depends on the idea of the two-hour movie. You, you know, you're in, okay. you're out, you're done. Uh, you know, you might get, uh, you know, it might, you might get a couple movies with the same character. But, you know, it, it's not, this isn't a, a 16 or 20 book uh, style right and as somebody mentioned before maybe it was it was you drew like uh, we understand that as this series goes on it turns into something else than what it is right now so yeah yeah that's true yeah. that i i hadn't considered the relationship angle in that light well drew but... hates romance and love <laughs> and <laughs> such a cold-hearted guy this one Go if if you want to hear what I like, what I really think about romance. Go listen to our Black Company episodes. Also read the Black Company. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Also read Black Company. <laughs> one day, one day I'm gonna read the Black Company, and Drew is gonna swoon for me. Oh, I've been I've been waiting. I don't know if I Craig. Agree. I got Craig to buy the book like years ago. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I'm, it's I'm, just <laughs> like me, Drew. You got me to read to to buy the first one in 2014. And then six years later, I went and finished the series. So, <laughs> yep, That's, but, that that tracks. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. No, with Perfect. with Dresden um, and oh. and Murphy, it was like uh, I don't know. I, there's chemistry there, obviously, but I'm with Craig in that I was frustrated with their relationship through the first two books. Um, on the other hand, can I tell you something that I really like about their relationship? And this is more of a, a uh, the way Butcher is setting them up uh, character-wise, I like that she is kind of the real-world version of Dresden, where, you know, they they both find their way to the same places so often, but they use very different methods to get there. And, it you know, it's fun, and it's magical, and it's wonderful to see Harry do his thing and, you know, consult Bob in the basement and mix oh, up Bob. potions... Uh, you know potions and and spells and all this stuff like it's it's a ton of fun but because they you know he's like oh i'm gonna follow this clue and not tell murphy about it and she's gonna go off and do her thing and then they end up in the same place many times throughout these books so far it kind of is an indication that she's really good at her job 
and oh, like yeah. where where he needs magical means to get to a certain conclusion uh in an investigation she doesn't need that um and is able to kind of to do the same thing so she kind of acts as a uh a, a muggle counterpoint to harry <laughs> muggle counterpoint okay to, yeah. to harry dresden's uh magical magical version <laughs> of a detective and uh yeah I, I i like her for that reason as well hmm. okay yeah. I, I think i agree with that yeah yeah I love Murphy. Um, I just want to say, I love Murphy. She's my favorite in in this whole series so far. I haven't met anybody I like as much as her, with the possible I don't know. exception I, of Bob. But I, I was going to say, I got a better reaction when I mentioned Bob. So <laughs> I love Bob. I love. Him. I was really disappointed that he didn't have more page time in this one. So maybe maybe this is where it comes down. Not not just a, a hairy specific thing, but uh. Robbie said, "Like Murphy's your favorite character in the series," and I was like, "Huh? Who's my favorite character?" And I think I know what I you're gonna say. I don't know if I have a favorite yeah. character. Yeah. Like I, I don't. There, there's just nobody that I've hooked on to. You mean it's Maybe not Marconi? Victor Shadow? Man? Like really? <laughs> Marconi is a really good. Uh, oh, yeah. Like he's a he's a stock character, kind of like yeah. the underground gangster, but he's done really well. Um, yeah. And kind of to my earlier point of I don't mind predictable as long as it's done well. I don't mind a really good stock character, and Marconi yeah. a, a great one. Yeah, I like, love Marconi. Um, I like the, obviously he's a despicable person, uh, and I'm getting a just a little kind of <laughs> this is gonna be funny. I'm getting a little jaded by the description of his, the color of his eyes constantly being referred to as faded dollar bills. Like, I get it. We've heard it like <laughs> four times. We're probably gonna hear it more in the next book. It was just that was a little repetitive for me, but as a, as a character, I think he's just he's exactly what we need. Yeah, know? I mean, and, it, it, yeah. it's a staple of this genre. Um, you you need the the criminal kingpin yeah. to to have the detective play off of. Um, How do you guys feel but... about a redemption arc for Marconi? Yeah, feasible. Waste of time. Mm, waste of time. Waste of time. Yeah, I, I'd I'd be sixty forty on the waste of time wagon myself. I think, but I wouldn't mind it. I don't think, but okay. Just want to get your opinion I, on that. Yeah, yeah, he'd be much less interesting. It, really? Like, okay, he, that's he that's become, an interesting take. He would become less plot relevant because one of the things that makes these stories work is that you have a kind of a three sided approach to all of these conflicts. Where there's, there's always an external criminal element that the detective has to solve. And then there's the police line. And then there's the criminal line. And and the detective, the private eye, is torn between the two. And if we redeem Marconi, that takes away the criminal element. Well, see, here's and how I would... I would sorry, go know, ahead and finish. I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, like, like it's, it's a, an important dynamic for a private detective character like this, uh, a staple of the genre in that he needs that temptation where there's an easy button. Marconi gives him the contract. Look, you're going to be rich. You're going to have all these resources. Life is going to be easy for you now. All you got to do is sign. But the detective can't do it without compromising his own values. Mm. Well, like you, you need that dynamic in the in the principal parties, in the recurring side characters. 
Yeah, but you could you could still preserve that because what I would do if I wanted to, as a writer, to try and and pursue this this arc of a redemption for Marconi, you could just introduce a just a bigger, badder mobster, somebody who's nope, like nope, a, a nope, level nope, above nope. him. No, 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 pass, pass, no. hard pass. That doesn't that doesn't work because if there's a bigger and badder one, then the temptation, what little temptation there was, goes away because it How? becomes easier. For the private eye to say, no, I'm not going to work with you. You're bigger and badder than the the guy I already said no to. What if the rewards are greater? I don't know. I Also, I just hate the uh, the sequel trope of bigger and badder. Yeah. It's well, it's uh, frustrating and exhausting, and I hate it, and I want it to die. I would love to see Marconi turn his back on, on the, all the other criminal elements and be like, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. I'd love to see him go through something that really changes his mind about what he's done. I guess I'm alone on that one. Hey, if you're like that too and you're listening to this podcast, comment on it somewhere. Let me know I'm not alone. (laughs) So, Uh, uh, we've been through uh, Harry, uh, Murph, Marconi. Anything else about Marconi? No, no. Um, Honestly, I don't have many notes on other characters, so it's kind of... Uh, in your I just, court, <laughs> I just want to talk about Denton versus I, Victor Shadowman. I think that was his name from the last book, the the antagonist. Victor of the last Sells. Book. Victor Sells. Yeah, the Shadowman was what um, uh, Harry called him. Ah, ah. Yeah, okay. Mo- Monica Sells and Victor Monica Sells. Sells, Victor Sells. That Sells. That's right. Yeah, like I, I, I just loathed Victor as that was that was my number one complaint in the last book. I think Denton was a far superior villain. What about you guys? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, His motivations are interesting because he, he, yeah, Mm. we got to know him better. That was the the big thing. Um, Victor was absent as a as a character throughout most of Stormfront, like pretty much until the end of the book. Most of the time we see him, it's in the Shadow Man persona of like a warlock in the shadows trying to kill Harry and then Harry rebuffs him and he runs away. Uh, we don't really get to know him the way we, we meet Denton right away and we see how he acts and reacts throughout the book. Craig Denton. Uh, who's Denton? The main the, uh, FBI, FBI guy. agent, the lead one. Oh uh, yeah, Murphy's sure. Yeah. Don't care. Name. No, <laughs> sorry. I, uh, it, it, you, for the most part, outside of our core group of like uh, Harry, Karen, Susan, and Bob, um, outside of that, it's all kind of forgettable and interchangeable to me. Like, wow. yeah, there's there's some wolves involved. There's a, the the FBI guy. They're like the three FBI guys, and they all kind of just look like the agents from the Matrix in my head, <laughs> and, you know. And I just kind of forget yeah. about them. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah, I love his motivations, how he's constantly saying there's so many of these guys. There's so many of these guys that we know what they did and we just can't pin them down. And so we have to watch them get away with it because of our damn system. I love that motivation. I just like, yeah, that that would I could see that driving him. And I love that soul gaze that we got at the very end and how Harry described him as such a formerly righteous, a formerly ordered person who was just corrupted by his hatred for this, his his inability to act on and, and try and protect the people that he wants to because of this damn system that doesn't allow him to you know pursue those he doesn't have yeah 
No, that uh, that all on. that sounds great, Rob. You did a great job selling me on it, honestly. And uh, I, if I read the book again, I'm sure that I'll you know recall your words. <laughs> and, but <laughs> but four months after I read the book, I just didn't remember who Denton was. So that oh, maybe... that's right. It's still been quite a while for you. Yeah, it's been yeah. it's been a minute or, or three. Yeah, uh, just I was especially I just wanted to compare him to to Victor from the last book because I felt like Victor was just so bland. If you had asked me his name before I had had to look it up, I would have been like. Well, Vic- Victor had Victor had all of what ten pages of screen time, uh, so yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I suppose, uh, yeah, that does, that's that's a good point actually. Yeah, um, I'm done with my characters too. I'm ready to go into just miscellaneous and then favorite scenes. How about you guys? Yeah, yeah let's do yeah, it. Let's, let's do it. Anyone else pick up on the use of the word simp? Uh, I did actually. I actually did. I and <laughs> oh, no. it sent me on. Uh, it, it sent me on a bit of a rabbit hole chase okay. thing uh <laughs> what, <laughs> rabbit hole what, chase yeah sure what you know what does Sounds... this where does this come from my word um and, and i uh i i don't have it anymore but um but it's what? as far as i knew it was just slang drew yep. are you familiar with the word simp uh, yeah i'm familiar with it i did not hey i'll used... I'll, I'll do a, a search in book right now um and and it's remarkable to me, Rob, that I remember this <laughs> because I forgot that I remember this. Yeah. Well, that that I I forgot so much else from the book, but uh, that word jumped out to me like, huh? He used the word simp. Yeah, I didn't realize that was a word uh, as before. a as a, a noun, a a, a, yeah. a simp. I'm not just a simp. It kind of sounded like a simpleton. Chapter somebody who could be uh, who could be tricked into you know this or oh, that. Oh, it was yeah. chapter eleven, Drew. Yeah, it's yeah. Chauncey. You think I'm some kind of simp for you to sucker in, Darkspawn? Yeah. I hadn't realized what? that simp was a noun before this, like before like the last few years at least. Yeah. When did this book come out? 2001. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I guess okay. maybe simp is a word that has resurfaced rather than you know morphed into something like I know it today. I guess it was always around. Yeah, it's a bit like um, you know oh. the, the word woke now. Everybody, th- you know, woke has right. all these connotations, but it yeah, goes yeah. back to like the frickin' seventies or something. So really, oh yeah, I'm still yeah. learning new stuff on the Inking Out Loud podcast. Thank you, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's I, wild. I definitely didn't pick up on that. <laughs> what about uh, Roger Harris, the uh, the younger, inexperienced the, one of the FBI trio the, there, the ginger kid. Yeah, the ginger kid with the big ears and the and the stutter, you know, and the yeah, he like, I this was something that kind of took away for me, like took away from the story for me because of the very first moment that Dresden meets Roger Harris and like shakes his hand or something, he immediately says, "I got a weird feeling about this guy," but then he doesn't follow up on it at yeah. all, and I was like, okay, well the fact that he doesn't follow up on it at all is very sus to me. And so I, I right away I started paying closer attention to these FBI guys, and then I was able to predict what was coming there. And as soon as he he saw Roger Harris involved, and I was like, "Yep, okay, I was I was expecting that one marked one on the list," but I just figured and that was pretty predictable. For anybody keeping track, that was sus. The word sus. So if okay, anybody we're was full of millennial yeah, quote today, that's right. That's right. Rob is clearly still in his twenties. I think I am still. Oh, as I say, I am the youngest one on this podcast. Although I'm not going to be in my twenties. <laughs> For much longer, about four months from now, I'll be hitting thirty. Sucker! I know, I know. I'm still the baby of the podcast. Yep. Um, okay, so here's a miscellaneous thing for you. Um, how did you guys feel? <laughs> I'm trying to decide how to how to bring this up in world building terms. How did you feel about having four different types of werewolf to keep track of? 
I was not having it. I would have been okay with two, maybe. Yeah. Um, but but once we got the fourth one, and I, I, I can't remember the names of all of them. There's the Lugaroo. Uh, there's the Hexa Wolf and something Stein. He- yeah, Hex and Wolves. And he- then there's Werewolves, and then there's Lycanthropes. Right, right. Oh, anyway. Thank you. That's right. That's yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, he does a decent job of giving them different names, right? So Hexa Wolf and uh, what, what, Hexa Wolves? would be you know it's a very german way to put it the lugaru is a french word and then werewolves is the familiar one so like he does a good a good job of separating them but still conceptually by the by the end of the book i was like i think i know what a lugaru is because we've seen that one a bunch uh but which ones are these kinds and and these guys wear a belt and what is the the belt yeah for me it's the hex and wolves are the ones okay so they use a spell to do that those are the ones with the belts right they don't have the natural ability to do that so the hex okay the spell okay that's how i managed to keep track of that one anyway my my point is just i four was a lot for such a small book yeah uh i don't know drew you look contemplative I didn't have a problem with it. Of course not, because you're smart, Drew. <laughs> Bring yourself uh, no, down I, to our level and look at it. I think uh. it's because they're rooted in real life, um, like legends. Sure, sure, sure. Um, at, at least a couple of them I was familiar with beforehand, and so it was easy for me to keep track. I um, will I, say, I did like the idea. Is it Terra? Yeah, who Tara. who is in fact a wolf? Yes. Uh, so she's whatever the opposite is. She's, and... she's like a were human. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did like that idea. That's a very Although, original spin. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure where she fits in the four categories, but uh, regardless, um, I did like that. Uh, were you know, You're right. Uh, Rob, as I said, were human. I realized like this. This is. I'm I'm just mangling the etymology here, and we really should have done the hero as werewolf as our bonus episode during oh. the same month as yeah because doing of the were uh, yeah. yeah so the etymology of werewolf is um, as we have it spelled in uh, in English today w e r e w o l f um, it it comes from a, an older English. Um, W E R W O L F, and that where W E R was the old English, or I think the Saxon, mm-hmm. same um, thing. Old English is word Anglo-Saxon. for man, like for human, like man as, or, or no, the other the other way around. Man was the term for human, and where was the the specific term Gender. for gendered man? And so werewolf was just wolf man. And and so saying were human etymologically just does not work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um yeah. There, now you've all learned something on Inking. I didn't even know that I had never even heard Luke uh before. Yeah. I never heard that. I'd never heard Hexenwolfen, or however it was pronounced. I, I had heard Lycanthrop, but I thought they were the same thing as werewolves. So I'd never, like, I just learned a lot in this series, or I'd say in this book. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was a lot. It's a short book, and he he really packs in a lot of mythology there. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was tough for me to keep track of who was what. <laughs> I, I just realized there's something I forgot to bitch about when I was talking about Harry. Oh, thank so, goodness. Thank goodness we're back to this. Sweet. Sweet. Um, okay, I've got a, a quote here for you guys. Um, so so you've got to get 
to get to McFinn, Susan said, when I was finished, before the moon comes up and he transforms. You've got it, I said. Why don't you call Murphy? Tell her what's going on. I shook my head. Murphy isn't going to be in the mood to listen. She busted me and I fled to rest. She'd have me in a cell before I could say abracadabra. How many people died horribly because of this idiotic f***ing bit of logic coming mm -hmm. out of Harry? Mm -hmm. I mean, why don't you call Murphy and tell her that she is going to that she's that this thing is a Lugaroo and she's bringing it into a, a building full of people who cannot defend themselves and who are trapped in cages? It's basically a it, it's it, literally the fox in the hen coop. And he's like, well, she's going to have me arrested before I can say abracadabra, so maybe I don't. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Are Rob, you Rob, are you angry that the Eagles didn't take the Hobbits to Mordor? No, no. I've been disabused of that notion. I'm a, just thinking, a, like, with this man. one, at, at a certain point, you just have to let go and say, so the story can happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if, if, if we're saying our main character is an idiot who willingly condemned dozens of people to a horrifying excruciating fear-filled death as they get torn apart by a creature they'd never even heard of before just because he's like and it, just the reasoning if there had been a better reason besides you know i'm a wizard but if this phone call i'm going to be in prison by the end of this phone call and that's the flimsiest goddamn excuse to condemn so many people <laughs> to death that i've ever heard in my life well, it's not like it's not like he hung up and then went to the bar. I mean, he did try to go stop the freaking werewolf. Yeah. So. yeah, but he. I mean, just, I'm not saying he did a great job. I'm just saying. No, but he he could have been a little more responsible or or, or compassionate about it and realized, hmm, maybe maybe I should do the thing that's going to be more likely to save lives rather than try and take it all on myself. It's like the the reasoning was just it was just the reasoning. If he had had a more honest mistake that led to this okay but the reasoning pissed me off so i had to get that out okay fair enough yeah <laughs> no, that's uh, off your chest <laughs> thank you any other miscellaneous points i got a couple but i promise they are really stupid what you guys uh, <laughs> i i don't uh, i think i'm yeah i just have my favorite scenes still to go okay uh craig no i'm good Okay, my, my last, actually, I just have one more. I just have my one last one. I want to say rest in peace, Carmichael. I want to raise a toast because I actually really liked him near the end. I thought he was coming around on Harry, and then he just, he dies in a very heroic way trying to save Murph. And I think he deserved better. So I'll raise a toast to him, to Carmichael. Okay, all right, cheers to that. <sighs> Cold coffee. Cold decaf coffee. I love it. Well, Yeah, you're living we, the rough uh, life there. Shall we do our three favorite scenes then? Uh, I just had one last question about Carmichael here. He, uh, oh. uh, at one point, Murphy tells him, I'll bet you sex to donuts. First off, I love that phrase. I'm going to be yeah, using that, that in the future. Um, but in response to this, Carmichael mutters under his breath, to use the actual quote, before relaying those orders. What are we thinking he said? Just out of curiosity. Wait, what? Okay, you got to set the scene for me again. <laughs> Uh, there was, I, I forget I forget the, the intricacies of what exactly was happening here because I was just so uh, in love with that line by Murphy's when she goes, I'll bet you sex to donuts that I think they were, they were chasing Harry into the wolf woods or whatnot. Um, and he overhears Murphy say, I'll bet you sex to donuts, so, 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 and so, like Dresden's behind there, so Dresden's here or something like that. And Carmichael mutters, and then he relays whatever orders that she gives. But I just want to know, I just, I would love to know what it was that Carmichael was muttering under his breath in response to that kind of challenge. I'll bet you sex to donuts. So, yeah, I, I think you're going the childish route, which is fine and fun. I am, absolutely. 
but my guess is that it's just a furtherance of his character being annoyed by Harry and off hating yeah. Harry. So yeah, oh, we're bringing this guy back. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Sorry, sorry to poop on your I'm parade. Just, that's okay. I hey, it's a parade that deserves to be pooped on. I was being very childish. <laughs> I told you guys it was going to be a very dumb. Anyone listening, listen. I gave you a warning five minutes ago. I said this last one's going to be really stupid. So, okay, I'm ready to go into favorite scenes here. All right, Rob. Third favorite. Third favorite scene. Okay. Harry confronting the gang as they follow him on the highway. And he, he had just, like, ingested that potion from Bob, potion of confidence or whatever the heck it was. Um, when Parker drives by and he notices Harry standing there, and then I have the quote here, I smiled at him and contemplated his shocked expression to my own satisfaction. Then I drew in a breath and my renewed will with it, lifted the rod in my right hand, murmured a phrase in a language I didn't know, and blew the tires off of his fucking truck. Mm. <laughs> I l- just... The, the fact that it, we, it was just such a great moment. I loved it. I loved how full of momentum Harry was in this moment. And th- that last line absolutely paid it off. I love that he managed to do that to him. So that's my third favorite. Nice. Okay. Uh, Craig, what about you? Uh, okay. So I, I said that I don't remember Denton. And that's true. Um, but I did remember the scene, the, the confrontation between Harry and Denton. Um, and so I looked it up again. Uh, it's chap the end of chapter 30 slash the beginning of chapter 31. Um, just a, a moment where, uh, it, it was a line that I enjoyed. So like I said okay. earlier, not, not a lot of lines in this book stop me one way or the other, liking them or, or not liking them. But in this case, um, Denton thumbed back the trigger, sighted down the barrel at my left eye and said, ah, yes, I'll, and I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Goodbye, <laughs> wizard. And then, uh, Harry says, Harry thinks to himself, "Death by nursery tale, hell's bells." Yeah, I, I, I like that moment. You know, and then the, the next chapter starts with a great line as well, which is the barrel of Denton's gun looked bigger and deeper than the national debt as it swung <laughs> to bear on my face. Um, just for really, you know, fun little fun little lines in the middle of a, a tense moment. That's why I like uh, Harry. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, um, and also, can we we just pointed out that this book was written in 2001. We are barely two or three years removed from the last time that the uh, that the uh, budget was balanced. Uh, like this, it's it's right, almost right. cute that they're talking about the national debt in 2001. Yeah, this yeah. is becoming what I think a year out of the Clinton administration. I yeah, was like exactly. nine years old, so yeah, foggy memory yeah, here. It, yeah, it, it, it was published in two thousand one, so it was probably written in like ninety nine two thousand. Oh, there you go. Right, exactly. Like, Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, it's, it's right. just adorable. Let's make fun of the national debt in two thousand one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh right. man, I would love to see that line rewritten today. Oh boy. So, uh, Drew, your third favorite. My dude. third favorite scene is Chauncey. Oh, damn, it, damn it, Drew! You took my second. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like Craig right, and I agree. I'll just leave it at that, and I'll let you guys take it from here. <laughs> oh, well, how, where is it on your list, Craig? Is it your number one or number two? Uh, I think that's my number one. Wow. Uh, oh. Yeah, well, I, I'll let I, you take it then. Go I ahead. used up. Well, no, no. I, I'll, I'll I'll wait till my number one. Okay. okay. All right. Well, yeah. Hey, I mean, <laughs> I'll then I'll continue <laughs> with. Oh no, no, no. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll. Uh, it's probably for different reasons. Go on. Tell me. Tell me about Chauncey. I like Chauncey. Rob, why is you know Chauncey what it was? your second favorite scene? You know what it, it, this, it is my second favorite scene. The, 
it gave me supernatural vibes. And this is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Yeah, I yeah. used to love supernatural. This whole one-on-one with a coy, clever, but still very dangerous demon that's trapped, you know, and then bargaining against the soul and more and more just mysteries to be revealed. It gave me these major supernatural vibes, and I was like, okay, I'm totally into this. Chauncey the demon is 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 cool to read. I, I really appreciate the fact that he uses terms like he doesn't use heaven and hell. He uses terms like never, never. Well, they all do. And the other side with the capitonyms there is just really juicy stuff for the world building. And so I really like that scene. That's my number two. There you go. Hmm. Nice. Uh, Greg, what you got? Uh, number. Uh, so I told you earlier, I was, I was kind of emptying my magazine. Uh, you know, all my ammunition is gone. Um, because my second favorite scene was going to be the, the opening scene, especially Mm -hmm. the opening paragraph. But I, I kind of like the entire opening scene, uh, creepy male gazy stuff aside, you know, it's just a a really well drawn version of that meetup between the, the detective and the damsel in distress. Um, it's a strong first chapter and I really enjoyed it. So I'll leave it there because we already talked about it. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, my... My second favorite scene was after, like, uh, after Murphy takes down McFinn in the police station, where, like, you know, there's all this carnage, and she's arresting Harry. And this is, this is the point where I, like, I laughed out loud. Uh, Murphy rose up, lifted the gun to half-raised. I mean, that this is, again, one of those points where it's like, all right, the, the pros could be a little better, um, but but really, it, it's the the following text. You know, you have the right to remain silent. What do you think happened, moron? I read your report. I make my own loads for sh- competition shooting, so I ran off a few silver bullets last night. But they're only in twenty-two calibers, so I'm going to have to put one through his eye to take him out, if that will do it. You know, and he goes twenty-two. Couldn't you have made some thirty-eights, some forty-fours? Bitchin' wine, Murphy snarled at me. You have the right to an attorney. I don't make my loads for work, and I didn't have the materials for it. Like, th- this juxtaposition of her reading him his rights uh, while, like, yeah. their their repartee is, is firing back and forth, I really, really enjoyed that. Same. I had, a, I had a goofy grin on my face when I was reading that. I agree. Yeah. Okay. All right, Rob. Uh, where am I? Yeah, okay, so my very favorite one. Harry and Susan getting the chance to bump uglies. Now, it's not the aforementioned ugly bumping that makes my favorite scene here. It's just what it meant for Harry. I was actually sort of, uh, I was, I was at, at first going into the scene for the for the vast majority of the actual sex scene itself. I was just kind of glazing over, if you forgive the expression that I use there, um, this scene here. But it, to me personally, it first felt like it was shoehorned in. Like we just need this to happen. It's part of what 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 you're expecting as this this kind of story. I thought it was just there for a break and some romance. But there was this particularly tender moment afterward, where Susan is is talking to him. She's telling him things like, "I don't want to fall in love with you," and how she knew so much of his world was pain and darkness, and she just wanted to. And I quote, "Remind him that there's something else." in the world and the effect that those words in particular have on Harry Dresden. And it, he's honest about it. He's not some sort of, you know, uh, Robert Jordan-esque character who's like, mm, there's the, there must have been a speck of dust in my eye there. You know, no, he's like, look, look, you know I'm tough. I know I'm tough. I've been through a lot. But there are some things I am not very tough about. And he just describes how he breaks down crying there on her shoulder and how she's 
holding him and soothing him and just lets him get that out. And that was just so touching in a way that I wasn't ready for at this early point in the series or just to see that part of Harry, that bit of vulnerability. And so as a character moment for Harry afterwards, um, that, that really, really touched me. So that was, that was my favorite scene in this book. Right on. Yeah, I like it. Okay. So Craig, Chauncey. Chauncey. Yeah, elaborate. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm going back to Chauncey, but it's a very, very specific thing that uh, Jim Butcher did with this scene that really impressed me. And I, I'm, I feel like I'm lucky that I even noticed it because it was pretty subtle. Um, but he does something really fun, which is um, when he starts the scene, he goes and, and summons Chauncey. Chauncey the demon. What a ridiculous name for a demon, right? Chauncey and then, uh, Right. So then we get to page 113, uh, and he says, uh, I'm, I'm only mentioning, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm mentioning the page number. It says, but Sean Zagaroth was a popular source of information among wizards, etc., etc., right? So he kind of, he gives you the demon's name. And so it's not Chauncey. It's not a ridiculous, it's a demon name, Sean Zagaroth, right? But then he leaves it behind for almost eight full pages, uh, so now I, uh, from page 113 to page 120, it's Chauncey, 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 Chauncey. And then when the conversation takes a turn and they start talking about Harry's mother and Harry feels like he's losing control of the situation, um, he doesn't, you know, he, the demon is getting the better of him conversationally and he feels like he's in trouble immediately without any explanation, it turns back to Chon Zagaroth. Um, and then for the rest of the conversation, he's Chon Zagaroth. And it's just a tiny wow. little subtle thing that an author can do to turn up the, uh, the menace in your mind as a reader, uh, where you understand the stakes have changed. Harry doesn't feel the same way. This is no longer Chauncey. This is no longer the, the source of information. This is a menace from the Never Never that I need to be very, very careful around. And it's just, it, it's a very skillfully done chapter just a little one little trick in that chapter that i loved i didn't notice that that's brilliant yes thank you for yes. bringing that up nice that that was uh why i had it on my list as well i yeah. i love the use of or the creative use of speaker tags um mm. we, we've I, talked about it on on previous episodes where sometimes it, it, there's more impact not using speaker tag at all sometimes it's uh, you, you find your impact in the verb. Instead of using said, you use you know a more descriptive word. Right. Sometimes it's better to just use said. Sometimes the the pronoun makes it flow better, or sometimes it's the name usage. And there's so much versatility in dialogue. And this is a really great example of how you can write effective dialogue without having to spend all this time on the actual words people are saying. Yeah. Yeah, I I I loved that scene and I just I I didn't like how it ended. I was I was so on the on the on the train of ooh, Chauncey's like really really intimidating. And then and our last our last lines from him are are basically akin to you haven't seen the last of me, Harry Dresden. And I was like, oh, we, we did go that way, didn't we? Oh damn, I thought this was going to be a little more. Okay, all right, but yeah, that 
this scene was there's a reason it made all three of our favorite scenes i think yes it's good it's good stuff um yeah and then my favorite scene is right after craig's third favorite oh um the metaphor for denton's mind uh i think i have this one underlined but yeah you go ahead yeah, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it goes on for, for quite a while, but it's, you know, I can't describe what I found there very well. Try to imagine a place, a beautifully ordered structure like the Parthenon or Monticello. Imagine that everything is balanced, and it goes on, and then he adds layers to it and and constructs a vivid mental image of a metaphor for Denton. And, and that's why, Rob, I agree with you in that Denton is a better villain than Victor. Because we never get anything remotely like this with Victor. Yeah. We really get to understand Denton in this scene. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's, yeah. Very good one. Very good one. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to go into the final draft? Are, are you, it. Rob? Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Well, hey, I already gave away my secret here of cold decaf coffee that I've been sipping on, and I'm only halfway done it, and I'm not sure <laughs> if I'll finish it. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've just been laying off alcohol for quite a while now, so <laughs> i, I got to bring something. Water only gets me so far. That's one thing that no one warned me when I was going to start really, like, weaning off of the alcohol, because I've been pretty open about this. I was pretty dependent on alcohol for a while, and then I, I went, like, three months without drinking anything, but I need something else anything by god anything in my life other than water at this point i'm so sorry i'm so tired of it i'm so sick and tired of it and so i've been sipping on a lot of coffee lately admittedly a little too much i've been drinking fully caffeinated coffee during these episodes for the past few weeks at like 11 or 12 p.m or a.m i should say on the 12th part but yeah cold decaf for today and it has not been particularly enjoyable i'll admit that (laughs) fair enough healthier so I'll, i'll tell you rob uh what i do when i'm you know taking some time off from drinking uh especially when i'm going out with friends who are drinking sure yeah. i do tonic water with a lime it's ah, more exciting water. than regular old water yeah well, with a lime though that's a good point actually because yeah. I've, I've never been like about the, the fizzy water kind of thing but uh yeah it's, it's worth a shot so i do like yeah. me some fresca so i can see that working too <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely all right. Uh, Craig, what are you drinking? Well, you know, after all of that talk of uh, being smart and not drinking so much, uh, I've got two. Nice. Hey, you're drinking for two today. Good. So here's the problem. Uh, the problem was that I, could, I, I couldn't find anything that fit this book very well, but I found one thing that looks forward into the Dresden Files a little bit, and then oh. one thing that looks back just a little bit. Okay. So, I have here a can from uh, TF Brewing. Uh, Drew knows it. Templin Family Brewing in Salt Lake. Uh, and this is a mixed berry fruited sour with lactose IPA. Oh. Oh. Uh, oh. It's, it's actually pretty delicious. It's, you know, kind of like a milkshake IPA kind of thing. Uh, but uh, it's the name of it. The reason I bring this in here is because it's Who's Berry? Who's Berry? Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to give away anything else other than to say that there is a character in a future book a very important future dresden files book named barry uh and so so that was my look forward for the dresden files all right now looking back again i couldn't find anything for this book but i found one for book one 
This is... Uh, you brought on the same beer that I brought on for book one. Shut shut up. Did I really? Did yes, you did. Oh, my God. I recognize... Yep, I recognize oh. the label. <laughs> I kept saying the name, too. Uh, yeah, this is Shadow Man. From, so you guys already know. If you listen to, to book one, this is from River North. It's from their decennial collection. The uh, Enigmatic Imperial Stout, a barrel-aged... This thing is boozy AF, uh, yeah. and it it's been AF. pretty good. So much pretty good for the last uh, pretty good for the last hour and a half, I'll say. That's why yes, we like bringing I Craig on it. because he vi- he's he's on our same page, literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, oh. Drew, you've ruined me. <laughs> he's ruined me too. Yeah. All right. Excellent. I Drew, love it so. How much. are you going to follow that one up? <laughs> uh, well, I'm drinking. A double India Pale Ale from Toppling Goliath Brewing Company in uh, Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath is a a very highly regarded uh, craft brewery. Some of their barrel aged stouts are among the most sought after beers in the world. Um, their Kentucky Brunch brand stout is like bottles of that go for hundreds and hundreds of dollars on the secondary market. Uh, there, there's like a joke that goes around that. Um, if you if you get a couple of bottles of each of their limited releases and then sell them for their secondary value, you can pay your mortgage for a house in Decorah, Iowa, for the year. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, I am not drinking one of those super hype beers, um, but this one's pretty good nonetheless. So it's a it's a double IPA with uh, Simcoe hops and Ruaka hops and Simcoe cryo hops, which uh, a more um, experimental. Uh, uh, brewing process that like really like leeches out all the the hop flavor, um, and and you certainly tell this is a, a vegetal hop, um, definitely bitter, flavorful. It's not going to be one of those like New England IPAs that tastes all tropical, but it's also not like a West Coast thing that tastes like a juniper bush. It's a, <laughs> it's it's like a very a vegetal hop flavor, but. It is, uh, it's, it's, this is Chauncey's beer. Oh, oh no. It's right. called Soul Hunter. Ah, Ooh, nice. But even better than that, the label is red and black and has a bunch of, like, werewolves oh, on it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. There you go. Nice. Yeah. I'd love to see the look so. on your face when you saw that can. <laughs> uh, I opened my refrigerator this afternoon to look and see if I had anything with a good name, and that was right on I the shelf. I just love that you like, can do this Ooh. at this point. You don't even need to go and look for the beer. You probably have it. You just got to find it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Rumor so, has it that at one point, Drew's fridge held food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one day, maybe it will again. No, I, uh, I actually just got a new little um, mini fridge. And was able to clear off almost an entire shelf of the fridge to allow food back in. <laughs> there you go. I get some sustenance in your life. No, I mean we we have we have plenty of food, but there is a, a, a large amount of beer in that fridge as well. Um, but uh, I, I think that brings us to the end of our coverage of Full Moon. Thank you. This does. has been episode one twenty nine of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Thank you. And uh, next up, we are going to be making a visit back to the Star Wars universe for Wedge's Gamble for episode 130, and after that, right back into Dresden for uh, Grave Peril. So, stay tuned for those. 
If you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. And uh, a little announcement, uh, another opportunity to support the show um, uh, if you don't want to spend two, four, six dollars a month, whatever, on Patreon, you can do a one-time donation on coffee.com. Uh, it's uh, K-O-F-I, uh, coffee.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, you can do a one-time donation there. Um, you know, no, no subscription, no strings attached. So check that out. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yes. And our special guest and expert StarCraft player, Craig Hanks. <laughs> oh, God. And... <laughs> I was wondering if we get into it today. That's, a, that's weird. Uh, Drew, can I ruin your flow for a second here? You can. And just recommend if uh, so if people enjoy this discussion, they want to hear more Dresden file stuff. Uh, I did not do them, but our other team on the Legendarium covered the entire Dresden files. Uh, nice. You can go listen to the Full Moon episode is episode two hundred one, so y- you can go check that out. You can start you know a couple episodes before that with the very first. But also, I want to recommend that you go around episode two ninety six. There's an unnumbered episode called A Conversation with Jim Butcher, uh, where Ooh. I, Ooh. before I'd read a single one of the books, I got a chance to sit down with Jim Butcher uh, with two of the other legendary panelists, Todd and Ken, um, and uh, have a very interesting discussion with him um, right before Peace Talks came out. So uh, I assume that there are some people listening to this who enjoy dresden stuff uh and would enjoy that episode so i i wanted to make sure that i did some shameless self-promotion uh 100%, but just yeah. yeah just i think people would really enjoy it i thought it was a great discussion he's a very interesting dude yeah and you know so whether you're listening to inking out loud's dresden episodes because you're like us and you're reading through for the first time and and are along for the adventure or whether you're an experienced dresden reader who is getting a uh, perverse delight in laughing at us not knowing all the answers uh you can you can uh, have your enjoyment with the legendarium episodes as well yeah absolutely hell yeah, hell yeah. people people kept asking me because i would do the tech for some of those episodes i'd be sitting here in the studio while the three other people were recording the episode and people would talk to me on discord they'd be like hey aren't you worried it's gonna get spoiled and like I have no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've heard every single detail about the Dresden Files, and I have no idea what happens in this series. It was yeah, a lot context, of fun to sit yeah. through. Yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So uh, yeah, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye bye.